What's up, FimFam? Welcome back to Fitness in Motion. We have episode six. Let's talk about stress. Now, it's hard to talk about stress without talking about the C word, cortisol, and that's exactly what we do today. Today, I wanted to mention just what exactly goes on in our body when we're stressed out and or when we can assume we have elevated cortisol, but then also giving you guys some actionable things, some actionable items, and just some recommendations that you can do to hopefully make some adjustments in your program. If you know that you just have a bunch of stressors in your life, or if you, in fact, know that you have some cortisol issues, um, but I do anticipate that we'll have another kind of like a part two to this because there's just so much to talk about when talking about this topic. And I know that we didn't get through everything, but I did want to give you some inform- informative things to consider. But then again, like some things that you guys can potentially do to work on yourselves, work on your programs to put your fitness into motion. So without further ado, I don't want to get too much into it. I'll let you guys enjoy the episode. See you on the other side. What's up, FimFam? Welcome to episode six, where we talk about stress. <gasps> yep, he said it, stress. That means we need to talk about cortisol. That means we need to talk about a lot of other things. Man, I'm pretty fired up about this one. Uh, I have a lot to talk about or a lot that I want to talk about. But I almost feel like before starting this episode, I need to put on like, like just a full you know, night suit of body armor just to protect me from probably all the anticipated messages I'm going to get uh, or just feedback I'm going to get because this is such a touchy topic nowadays, uh, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, a bad thing because I feel like we've had the word stress and cortisol thrown at our face so many times when talking about reaching our goals, talking about health and fitness, talking about nutrition and exercise and recovery and all of these things where cortisol is like that new C word that we don't we don't want to hear. But doesn't that also mean that it's probably important that we do sit down and talk about? So as I'm prepping for this episode, as I was prepping for it, I was like, man, I got to be careful when I say that thing. Oh, I don't know who, you know, who's going to uh, come at me when I say this thing. But I do want to approach it in a good way to give you guys some actionable things to put your fitness into motion, like always. But even if you just read this title, you might have rolled your eyes back already, and that's okay. But again, I felt like it's a good topic, and it should be a topic that we talk about when you're getting into your your program, getting back into it, into a routine, or just continuing chasing your goals. It is something. It is inevitable. It is a thing that we need to talk about, so might as well try to have a good conversation about it. Now, we've all heard that stress can interfere with weight loss, potentially, right? We, or that we need to manage our stress better. Or that, you know, some of us might even use exercise or our workouts to de-stress from our social or, or work stress, yada, yada, yada. But I'm hoping to sort of bring it all together, tell you, you know, what actually happens in our bodies with different types of stress or what major things should we consider when prescribing exercise either with clients or people who have high stress or have other underlying things going on when they want to lose weight or change body composition. And then again, what can we do to personalize my program, your program initially so we can start chipping away and making some progress to get to our goals? Um, It is something I try to talk about with my clients right away. Even if it's, you know, we don't have to get a lab blood test done 
ideally that'd be great. Um, but that's why we ask you those weird questions. How's your lifestyle? How's your work stress? How's your stress management? How's your sleep? How's your recovery? Uh, how's your energy? Because th those are easy questions to ask uh, so that we get a little bit of information on how you adapt to stress. Uh, there's a difference between individuals who might have really high stress, but good stress management versus those who have very low stress, but can't manage that very well. Their stress bucket is already overflowing, even if they feel it's not a lot. Um, those are just very, I don't know, like boring questions or redundant questions, but that's how I, I use them. I'm not just asking you about your life because it's something to go off of the script. Uh, I usually use it to figure out, okay, like how stressed are you? Like what things do I need to put or remove into your program so that we don't, you know, uh, we don't contribute to the problem that's going on. Uh, if you have a lot of physiological things due to stress or cortisol or hormone imbalances. So I will speak mainly on those who want to like lose weight or change their body composition. Uh, I'm going to just talk about a little anatomy, some physiological things and some like exercise prescription recommendations. Uh, but you'll notice that there are a lot of things to consider and a lot of stars have to align just to start seeing some progress. And I'm not even going to touch on nutrition. I'm not even going to touch on you know, if, you, if you're on any current medications or what your lifestyle is, I'm just going to talk about exercise and like resistance training and cardio. Uh, if I had, you know, if I, if I held a three-day conference every weekend for the rest of the year, I probably still won't be able to get through everything. Um, and I'm trying to fit it into a 20 to 30-minute episode. So here we go, guys. Let's get started. So I'm going to breeze through some of this rather quickly, but I did just want to give you guys some information on what's going on when we talk about stress, what physiological changes are we seeing? Um, I know some of you like research junkies out there and, and science nerds and those who really are very analytical and want more information, reach out to me. I know I won't even touch the tip of the iceberg here, but again, I'd rather get some information out there so you have at least something to hold in front of your face so you can start gathering and you know, uh, eliminating things that do or don't apply to you, um, even if it's just a little bit to give you a little bit more direction, right? So a little bit's better than none. Um, but I will start talking about cortisol um, and just hormones in general. But the things just to keep in mind, like hormones are everything, right? Like they're this the they're the worker bees that upregulate, downregulate. They monitor, they respond, and communicate for most and all like physiological responses in their body, right? They're busy, they're social things. Another important thing to know is that they don't act just independently. Like they're very, like I said, it's very social animals, very social uh, little cells and hormones. So for like, for example, if we just talk about insulin, if we try to look at or like change anything or to improve insulin or um, insulin sensitivity, if, some, if we make some changes over time or some progress, you can bet that several other things get affected downstream. <laughs> like I, I was thinking about this, like if you guys seen Back to the Future, like those movies, great movies, by the way. So like when they go back in time or, you know, into the future or something and they accidentally change something, either for the good or for the bad, it really, there's just like this huge cascade of changes, right? They totally change uh, like the time continuum and uh, I like to think of hormones like that. Uh, we, so we can't just look at one thing, one metric or one hormone and try to change that because they're constantly interacting with each other. And so we have to approach this to try to improve 
uh, or change a lot of things at the same time without making it more confusing. There has to be structure to it. So even though we're going to be talking about stress and cortisol, um, once we get to the end, I'll try to bring it all in and all together so that we're not just trying this one thing on Monday to help with cortisol and this one thing on Tuesday to help with blood sugar regulation. Um, that's just not going to be sustainable. It's not really going to do much. Uh, I don't think, I'm hoping not, not a lot of people are doing that out there, um, but I just want to put that out there, especially for how vague in general I'm going to be, but that's sort of on purpose because we just have to, again, attack things, attack a lot of things all at once. Um, and I feel that might be helpful for a lot because I got caught up. If I look back at how I used to work out and how I approached my health and fitness goals, I was doing a lot of random things to improve a lot of random things. And uh, if, if you're out there and, and you're starting to piece together your program or you've been doing your program and routine for a while, uh, time to step back and assess and make sure that there aren't so many things going on that your body doesn't know what the heck to do with it to the point where you might not be moving the needle. You might not be making progress at all. Let's start with a quick cortisol 101 crash course here. And again, cortisol is not a harmful thing, or it can be, but it's not an evil thing in our body. There's a reason that we have it, and it does a lot of magical things. So I will start with the goods. I will introduce some of the bads, especially if we have chronic stress, chronic elevated cortisol. But let's start with the goods. Let's start with the, the shiny rainbow parts about cortisol. And so I have four things here. And again, I always have to specify these aren't just the only four things that cortisol is good for. Uh, but I wanted to mention these four because I felt like they were most applicable uh, for a lot of you out there. If you're trying to lose weight, right, uh, work on body composition, stay healthy. So here are the main four. So cortisol, it helps with like mobilizing stored energy. So that's getting like glycogen from our muscle and liver, right? We need glucose in our bloodstream if we want to have energy to get through an activity, get through exercise and other things. Also, we mobilize and get amino acids away from the muscle. Cortisol does that. Or it helps with getting fatty acids from body fat. And again, these things I named off of, we use for energy. So it takes them from a stored state into a more active state. Uh, something to specify on that is it is like what we call a non-selective process when this happens. So it's really kind of like an all or nothing process. It's not like once we introduce something that spikes cortisol, uh, we can't just turn on, you know, the funnel to get amino acids or just, you know, ask for uh, fatty acids from body fat. Like we have to get all three things, the glycogen, the amino acids, the fatty acids, and all three of those things happen. So like it's like an on or off switch. So that's why it can be a good thing and can be a bad thing. But anyway, it helps mobilize energy that's stored into a more active state. A second thing, it inhibits the immune system, especially during times of danger or during times of, of uh, physiological stress or exercise. And that can be a good thing because during those times when the immune system needs to be inhibited or turned off or dialed down, it allows more resources to be available to fend off the dangers or uh, adapt to any external stimuli or internal stimuli. Um, but when we hear, oh, turn off my immune system, are you kidding me? There are times when the immune system almost inhibits us from, from um, gathering resources or releasing resources that we need to get through that thing. So that's why cortisol 
inhibits immune systems during those times. Uh, if, I, if I'm if a bear, you know, crashes into my my apartment right now and I need to run away run away from it, I kind of need my immune system to kind of pump the brakes a little bit so I can focus on and releasing other things that I can run away from the bear and survive. I don't want to be like, you know what, bear? I want to keep my immune system on. Uh, so if you could just go, no, I need to run away freaking now. Uh, so that's the second thing that the cortisol helps with. The third thing uh, increases, like I, I want to just label this as heart contraction rate or heart contraction strength. So again, that's just increasing heart rate or blood pressure when we need to. Um, this increases like oxygen to the working muscles or being able to flush out uh, metabolites like lactic acid or lactate. Uh, again, important during times when we're in that fight or flight stage. Think about the bear crashing into my place. I probably need eye, eyes dilated, my heart heart rate to go up, blood pressure to go up so that I can get the heck away from it. The fourth thing is that it increases focus, increases wakefulness, drive, energy. And so I'm going to get to this later when we talk about like circadian cycles with, with cortisol, but there are certain times of day that cortisol is higher and that cortisol should be lower um, so that we are focused, uh, we're awake, we have more drive and energy during different parts of the day so that we're not just sitting in our beds trying to fall asleep and we have all these things going on. Uh, but what I thought was interesting, again, this is just the sciencey part. This is just for fun. Do you need to know this? No. Maybe I'm just mentioning this to make me sound smart. I don't know. But uh, cortisol is responsible for increasing an enzyme. PNMT. You can you can look that up. You can ask the Goog. It's a long word. Fancy term. Nice job, Kyler. But PNMT. So that converts uh, noradrenaline into adrenaline so that we can stay awake and stay focused. So again, all of those four things are great. Thank you, cortisol, for that. But again, it, it is everything, like most things, in moderation is good. If we have, you know, uh, some spikes in cortisol every now and then, which we do and which we will, that can be good. But when we start to hear about how cortisol and stress can be bad, that's more for like the chronic state. When we have elevated cortisol, elevated stress for a long period of time. And that doesn't mean just exercise stressed, physical stressed. We're talking about family stress, personal stress, emotional stress, environmental stress, just sitting in our chair, stressing out about like a work deadline. All of that is interpreted as, as bad stress and negative stress, which can potentially then keep our cortisol levels elevated a little bit or a lot. And if that's going on 24 seven, 365 days a year, that's when we start to have some interference and that's when we start to see some negative effects. Well, that might be a good segue now into talking about the bads or the negative uh, effects of elevated cortisol. And these are ones that, again, it's sometimes hard to have a good conversation about this because we've always been told cortisol is bad, cortisol is bad, cortisol is bad. If you have elevated cortisol, you're going to freaking die. I mean, again, I'm being facetious here, but um, we've just heard this so much that especially since we can't necessarily see elevated cortisol, Sometimes a lot of us are symptomatic, right? We have lack of energy, lack of sleep and all that stuff. Um, but the more we hear how bad cortisol can be over a long period of time, the more numb we, we become to it and the more numb we are to it. And uh, it, it's just, again, trying like the, to beat a dead horse sometimes. 
But I feel that it is helpful if we start talking about what actually goes on in our bodies, since we can't necessarily see it all the time, that might be hindering us to seeing our health and fitness goals. So let's start with some things that might affect us when we're trying to lose weight or promote fat loss. So when we have elevated cortisol, one thing that can happen is decreased conversion of T4 to T3. Now, now if we think thyroid, right? So T4 is like an inactive state of, of, of this hormone. So when it's converted into T3, it has a big impact on our metabolic rate. And so you might if you know someone who has like hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism, when they have issues with their thyroid, we always hear that's that's responsible for our metabolic rate. And that's why a lot of individuals have a hard time losing weight when their thyroid is all out of whack. Uh, but cortisol, when it comes in, it's like, ho, hold my beer, right? So it does have a big impact of how this conversion happens, therefore making it very hard to lose weight because our metabolic rate is affected and we can't at a resting or an active uh, state, we just can't um, we just can't fire our metabolism correctly. Another thing that uh, that cortisol can negatively affect us by is it can lead to insulin resistance. Now, there's a couple points on this one when talking about insulin and blood sugar and insulin resistance. But let's think of it like this. So when we are in this fight or flight mode, right, exercising, running away from a bear glucose is released into the bloodstream for energy right to the working muscles so that we can get up especially when we were hunters and gatherers it was good because we needed to have glucose go to our muscles so we can run away we can gather food we can be out and about we have that energy but we had that physical mechanism to then burn off that blood glucose okay so if we're sedentary or have a huge amount of blood sugar sitting in our bloodstream lots of insulin now has to come in and kind of step in uh, to remove that blood that blood glucose because we don't have the muscle contractions going on to burn that off so again if we're sedentary we have a lot of blood sugar insulin is always there it's always like okay here we go blood glucose time to go out all of the time all of a sudden this leads to insulin resistance where our cells just don't respond uh, very well with insulin anymore. Again, it's almost like our cells become numb because insulin is always there. You ever have that friend who is just every time you meet them, they they talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk to the point where like there might be a very nice person, but then you start to like not listen to them. They're talking, you can hear them. You're just not listening. That's kind of like being, you know, chatty person resistant. Like it's all they're always there. They're always talking. And you just become numb to it. That might happen when insulin is always there trying to just get all this blood sugar out of the bloodstream. Um, and again, that's just called insulin resistance. So when insulin is always around, that also is a good segue into this next one. When insulin is always present, doing its thing and actually doing its job, uh, fat metabolism can be affected. Fat metabolism goes down, or I, I always explain it in this way, like your body's spotlight is now on trying to monitor blood sugar with insulin versus trying to focus its spotlight on metabolizing fat or like, you know, taking from your fat stores. So those are some things that can be going on or that affected or just might be making it harder for you to lose weight, to lose fat. Now, when we talk about muscle growth or trying to grow muscle, 
here are some of the bads or negative effects that cortisol can have if it's elevated for a long period of time as well. So just to name a few, uh, so we see like some decrease in nutrient uptake, right? So that can definitely, if we can't get the nutrients to our, our muscles, we, it, it's going to be hard to grow them. Another thing that happens is that we can increase the amount of, uh, increase the amount of myostatin. <laughs> uh, when I talk about myostatin, which is not very often, um, this is a protein that's responsible for limiting muscle growth. So that skeletal muscle tissue doesn't get too big. And it does play play a role, right? That we don't want the muscles to get too big. But uh, I always joke around. Maybe it's a good joke. Maybe it's just a joke for me. Uh, but I say, if you ever want to, you know, blame someone or blame something, if you're not getting your gains, that dang myostatin, right? Um, but again, if it increases the amount of myostatin, uh, we just don't see uh, we just don't see big increases in skeletal muscle tissue growth. Another thing that can happen, we can see some slow muscle tissue repair. So uh, if we slow the, the repair process of muscle tissue, especially if we've broken it down or we've put it through an environment that uh, it needs a lot of repair and recovery, uh, we don't see a lot of growth sometimes, especially if cortisol's in there just messing up with that repair process. Lastly, one other thing I wanted to mention, elevated cortisol can decrease, can decrease testosterone or progesterone. So yes, some of these are sex hormones, but I mentioned these because if you haven't heard of this, this is called the pregnenolone steel. And there are some believers out there. So there are some non-believers, but the way I talk about cortisol when it comes to sex hormone function, it is this. So most, most hormones have like this skeletal base made up of cholesterol, right? Which can then be converted into pregnenolone. And so pregnenolone can then be produced into other hormones like estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, aldosterone, and cortisol amongst other hormones. So essentially what happens is if we keep producing cortisol, right? If we are stressed, if we have things going on that just demand more cortisol, now pregnenolone is kind of using all of its energy to produce cortisol and not other things like sex hormones. So that's why it's called a pregnenolone steal because cortisol essentially is is kind of hoarding and stealing all of all of this pregnenolone and there's really not enough or not uh, an optimal um, optimal amount so that we can produce testosterone and progesterone which are huge key factors if you want to google something or look something up and research it there's like the HPA access and again I'm I'm going to save you guys uh, save that research for you, but it does a good job tying in, uh, the adrenal glands and like the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland and all these things and just how hormones and, and the hormone systems work and how it's, it's basically like a, like a three, um, a three legged stool. Like you can't just have one bad one and just, you know, not focus on that and just focus on the goods of the other two. Like, again, hormones are always interacting with each other dependently. And if we just see this, this huge uptick in cortisol, you can bet that almost everything else is being affected in some small or big way. Uh, but I just wanted to give you guys those terms that if we have see high cortisol, we can potentially see a decrease in testosterone and progesterone. And I won't go too much more into that. Um, I'm not an endocrinologist, but it is good to know. 
Okay, lastly, guys, let's try to step back into the coach's corner here. And let me give you some actionable items, depending on what style of training you enjoy doing, um, what underlying things you have going on. Doesn't matter. I feel like these points and recommendations are just good in general. Uh, just if you're getting back at it, if you're hitting a plateau, um, or if, again, if you're, you are, in fact, trying to uh, lower your cortisol or just not potentially get into an elevated cortisol state. Um, I have four different points here. You can try to figure out which which point or which group you fit into. Um, but I have four ones. I tried to limit it down to these. So the first one, if you're the type of person who loves to do like lots of volume training, you just love to do, you know, sets of 20, sets of 30 for some dang reason. Uh, I feel like that's just just gross in a good way. But if you if you're the type of person who loves to do volume training, here are some things you can do. Try not to, you know, change exercises too frequently or try not to introduce too many new ones too often. You're already doing lots of great things, getting a lot of good adaptations, hopefully, from that high volume training. That's great. Uh, but if you are also the person who loves to just change everything up from week to week to week because it's fun, you want variety, uh, you're already doing a lot of great stuff. Maybe try to find a list of like six, eight, ten movements that you can hit that volume training with uh, and you should be pretty good to start. The second group, if you are the type of person who loves to do very complex movements, so say it's like barbell work, multi-jointed compound movements, uh, Olympic lifting, some things you might want to do is try to maybe adjust your overall program. Again, these are recommendations if you are trying to not run into fatigue, want to improve your recovery, not want to uh, keep elevating your cortisol because your life is already stressful. If this is you and you're doing all of these complex movements, adjust the volume. Uh, it, it, try not to do, you know, like 20 sets of 20 of power cleans or of deadlifts. Uh, just pump the brakes. Not on the movements that you love to do, but just pump the brakes on the overall volume. The third one, if you're the type of person who just loves to do heavy work, you love to lift heavy, whether it's barbell work or whatever. And I consider heavy like anything above 85 to like 90% uh, of perceived exertion um, or, or of your one rep max. One thing you might want to do is just adjust your volume again. Um, if you're working out at you know, working this heavy work and working at this, these types of heavy loads because you're trying to uh, promote hypertrophy or you're trying to work on power and strength and do all that, you're probably already doing heavy sets of one, twos, or threes, right? You're doing singles, doubles, triples. If you're doing, you know, seven to 10 sets of triples and uh, you're finding out that your recovery is lacking, your sleep is getting affected, your cortisol and your stress is going up, uh, maybe limit that down to like four or five sets and see if that makes any improvements. Lastly, number four, if you are the type of person who has lots of things going on in your life, lots of stressors or lots of, let's say, quote unquote, cortisol releasing stressors, whether it's emotional stress, work stress, personal stress, physical stress, environmental stress, start with just trying to reduce the number of training sessions per week. And this is where sometimes these conversations when talking about stress and exercise gets a little weird, gets a little uncomfortable because if, if I just go right into like, wow, you, seems like, you seem like you have a lot of stress in your life, let's just have you try doing something that you have never done before and or you just hate doing. Maybe continue doing what you love doing, but let's just limit the amount of times you are doing that throughout the week. 
either to give you more rest days or just more days to focus on like low to moderate aerobic training, uh, recover, you know, active recovery days, uh, things like that. And then lastly, uh, one bonus recommendation here. I really didn't start diving into this and researching this more until like the last five years. But for those of you out there doing like more yoga and like Pilates style training, there is actually a lot of magic, a lot more magic into that style of training than I thought. My apologies to you. Like I applaud you. So specifically, if I hear an individual or a client come up to me and they're like, man, I have a lot of stress in my life, right? Um, and or I am not comfortable with like resistance training machines or even cardio machines or any type of resistance training, I send them over to yoga and Pilates and here is why. So when I, I didn't really know a lot about Pilates until again, like I said, about five years ago, besides just working on core stability and core strength and flexibility, it is a great way to work on some type of resistance training or working on like strength gain mm -hmm. while not having you in an environment that spikes cortisol in a very, what we call like parasympathetic environment where you can still work on like muscle building and strength gaining and, and core stability. And that is magical. So that is one other thing to think about whether you were thinking of trying out yoga or Pilates. Um, but again, if, if you feel like you are lacking on recovery and sleep because of stress or because you know you have high cortisol and working with weights and working on those four points I mentioned before of uh, like complex movements or just resistance training in general, uh, look into yoga, especially look into Pilates because that is a great avenue for individuals like you. And it was great for me. I mentioned this before. My style of training is more of like the CrossFit style training, right? So you can bet that there's lots of high intensity, there's a lot of complex movements, and there's a lot of like heavy barbell work. So because my recovery was so bad, it was great a couple of years ago when I was introduced to Pilates, where I could have that more what we call like parasympathetic uh, type of training, where I'm still working on core stability, I'm really working on flexibility, but I can still get that feeling like I'm working hard in a very non-stress or cortisol spiking environment. Um, and it worked wonders for me. I know it's worked wonders for a lot of clients that I know, especially if they're chasing high intensity. Um, but that would be one thing I would recommend that you guys look into if you haven't already. Uh, I know before like yoga Pilates was looked at or viewed in my opinion as a great way just to work on core and stability, but there's a lot more magic that goes into that. Lastly, guys, again, one more thing. Uh, just a couple, I guess, other nuggets to think about. Um, when it really comes down to it, if you're trying to fix, or I'm sorry, if you're trying to improve like cortisol, or trying to improve stress, or just trying to improve that the way that you approach your your style of training and your program, just know when to adjust, right? Your workload, know, know when to adjust your frequency, uh, know when to adjust what type of recovery that you do or should be doing. Or just know when to adjust overall. Like don't don't approach it uh, where you have too many things going on, where you just don't know what sticks. Like don't try to throw everything at the wall to see what sticks, because odds are, the thing that the things that do stick, they'll have to be modified down the road anyway. Which it does make my job and our jobs very creative and fun and exciting, uh, but it can make like your life very frustrating, right? When you're trying to really see progress and really see results. Um, just know that 
kind of sticking with some basic things like we mentioned throughout this episode really goes a long way. Like it's, it's a, a little, you know, progressing a little is better than just doing a lot and not, not really seeing anything. Like you don't want to get stuck in a situation where you are doing a lot, but not getting a lot done. Yes, the music means we are done with the episode. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, Like I mentioned before, I anticipate there will be a part two to this. It was a lot of information. I know it was mostly informative. Uh, I do want to dive a little bit more into some possible like exercise prescription recommendations for you guys but hopefully those were some small nuggets that you guys can start working on yourselves but anywho uh every two weeks again i'll be posting a new episode on mondays so be on the lookout for that if you have any questions any feedback or suggestions please reach out to me on any platform that you're listening to me on or you can hit me up on instagram my tag is kyler underscore alpha underscore fitness. See you guys in the future episodes.